Up. Tom is the uh, lead pastor at, at Riverstone Church. Riverstone and the network we call, we kind of affectionately uh, refer to as the Mother Church. Uh, we were planted out of Riverstone Church about three, three and a half years ago. Um, many of you know Tom, some of you may not, um, but uh, we're glad that he's here this morning. Tom and I go back to our days at the University of Georgia uh, when uh, my senior year in college. God used a relationship with Tom to flip my life upside down and uh, help me get back on the right track and uh, even a call into ministry. So uh, he's like a, uh, a father to me in the faith, and uh, I'm honored to be here with him. Um, you know, we are in the middle of this campaign of, of 40 Days of Love, and most of you, a lot of you are in these groups, and we're getting into some depth within these groups, and I'm excited for what I'm hearing about what's taking place in, in your group. And as we kind of dove into this week, it started to get a little bit heavier. You know, we talk about, you know, love is Jesus love to, you know, the, the great command to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love your neighbors yourself. And that sounds simple. And we've all been to church and we've heard sermons about love before. But you're being challenged in a new way and in some new ways if you're diving into this series and from some of the stories that I'm hearing and specifically some of the people I'm interacting with, I just want you to to know that I'm proud of the effort that you're making to learn how to love in a whole new way, that there's so much more beyond this surface type of love that God has in store for us. And so I'm going to pray for Tom. We're going to hand things over and uh, and hear about love this morning in a whole nother way. Father, I thank you for uh, for Tom. I thank you for the. The blessing that he is to so many, how you've made him a father, how you've made him a father to people in other nations, how, Lord, you just continue to flow through him to glorify yourself, and that when people look to him, they see you. And, Lord, I just pray for that anointing that you've given him, just be poured out on us in a fresh way this morning, that we can live our lives for you. And see lives transformed before our very eyes. So come and have your way, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I think 14 years ago I was uh, having dinner with a friend. And at that time I had been at the Wesley Foundation in Georgia for, I guess, seven years. And uh, he asked me, he said, he said, what's next for you? And immediately I reached across the table and I grabbed a napkin and I started to write some stuff down and basically just drew up for him uh, a church planting network. And I said, this is next. Uh, I just don't know when. Uh, a little less than a year later, we got the call to come to Marietta and help uh, start a church uh, that is now Riverstone. And, uh, of course, Vintage. Uh, I didn't have the name Vintage written on that napkin. I wasn't that clever. Uh, but we, you know, we had uh, this this idea that we believed was from God, that was uh, in our hearts, and uh, it's it's exciting now, uh, 14 years later, uh, to look around and to see that uh, we have five churches in the area uh, that are all doing well, and uh, we're excited about uh, having five more. And then five more, and eventually we, we would love and believe that we will have 20 churches uh, in the Cobb County area, just you know, along the borders and, and in the heart of Cobb. Uh, our idea is that uh, God can change a community 
by saturating it uh, with people, like-minded people who are committed to a common vision. And uh, so uh, it's good for me. It's exciting to be here, to be with you, and uh, to see what's going on uh, here at Vintage. And I appreciate having the chance this morning to share with you. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to uh, turn to Ephesians 4. I'm going to read verses uh, 30, 31, and 32. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now let's pray. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. Uh, I recognize that there is there's not a person in this room that needs to hear from me today. But we all need to hear from you. And so I pray that you would speak. I pray that uh, you would either speak through me or, or speak in spite of me. But I pray that you would speak. And I pray that... Uh, Every word that comes from my mouth would come from your heart. And anything that is not from your heart, Lord, we just simply ask that it would fall to the ground like dust and be blown away. Uh, We need you. We confess our dependence on you today. And we we open our hearts to you and say, come and have your way here. Uh, Do what you want to do. Make this your day. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we live in a society that uh, that finds forgiveness a little bit difficult. Uh, it's not a new thing. Man has always struggled with forgiveness. Uh, we've struggled with how to give it. We've struggled with how to receive it. We've struggled with how often to give it. You'll remember uh, Peter asked Jesus one time, well, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? You know, is seven times enough. Let me tell you, I grew up in a house with three brothers. Seven times is not enough. Uh, it doesn't even get close. You know, you, you do seven times in less than a week. And so, you know, Peter was, was asking Jesus, how often does this have to happen? How many times do I have to do this? In Genesis 1, we find Adam and Eve, they've got this situation that, that any of us would love to have. You know, Adam and Eve are in a garden. Everything is at, you know, is theirs. It's, everything's at their disposal. And they have this fruit that they can eat. And they can go for walks with God. And, and they get to name animals and just all sorts of crazy stuff. And, and God says, one thing you can't do. Don't eat the fruit from this tree. And so obviously, that's what they decided they would do. They would eat from the one tree uh, that God told them not to. And so in Genesis 3, they sin. And their sin requires justice. The Bible tells us in Romans that the wages of sin is death. And God had told them, if you eat from this tree, you will die. And so what happens when they eat from that tree is they die. Uh, immediately they die spiritually. 
and eventually they die physically. Then in Genesis 4, I promise you I'm not going to take you every chapter to the, all, the, all the way to Revelation, but in Genesis 4, Cain murders his brother Abel. And so what we see here is that sin is accelerating. And, and left unchecked, sin will always accelerate. So in Genesis 3, we've got sin is is just simple disobedience. They take the fruit they're not supposed to take. One chapter later, we've got a brother killing his brother. And then uh, Genesis 4.10 says this. Abel's blood cries out to the Lord from the ground. Abel's blood cries out to the Lord from the ground. And, and what does it cry out for? Well, the blood of Abel cries out for justice. Now, go a little bit further. Genesis 4.23, we meet a man named Lamech. And Lamech, as far as we know in the Bible, is the first man to have two wives. And he says to his wives... I killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. So, again, because sin has accelerated, justice is no longer enough. It's no longer, if you hit me, I'll hit you. Now, it has become, if you hit me, I will kill you. So, sin has accelerated. Exodus chapter 4, Moses comes along and he says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And we believe that the demand of Moses for justice is actually the goal. And it's not. Uh, We have, some of us, spent our whole lives trying to figure out a way for life to be fair. And how many of you know that life is not fair? It's just not. And, And the goal is not that it would be fair. The goal is not justice. Our precondition towards justice even makes it difficult for us to accept the forgiveness of God. We say things like, I, you know, I, just, I don't deserve it. You know, I don't deserve God's grace. I don't deserve God's favor. I had an interesting thing happen a couple of weeks ago. I have a guy in my church who's he's only been a Christian for about three weeks. And he had this court case coming up that was uh, due to some things that he had done before he came to the Lord. And, and he was fully expecting the letter of the law. He actually stood before the judge. And the judge asked him, said, you know, what do you think ought to happen? And he said, judge, I'm guilty. He said, I've rebelled. I've rebelled against the law my whole life. And I need to be held accountable. And the judge showed him mercy. Incredible thing. He calls me on the phone and he says, I don't understand this. I don't understand. He said, Tom, all my life I've prayed 911 prayers. You know, where you say, God, if you'll get me out of trouble, I'll do whatever you want. And then I don't do it. He said, this time I didn't do that. He said, this time I said, God, hold me accountable. I'm ready to pay the price. And he, he got me out. Why did he do that? And I said, well, what you've experienced... Today is the mercy of God. We're preconditioned toward justice. We think we want justice. We think we do. We think we want life to be fair. We even feel bad that Jesus died on the cross and we're still bad. Because that's not fair. You know, if Jesus is going to die, it ought to at least make us good, right? 
It's just not fair. But justice is not the goal of the kingdom. Redemption is. Justice is not the goal of the kingdom. The goal of the kingdom is redemption. And redemption comes through mercy. That's why Hebrews 12 says to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The new covenant speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel cried out for justice. But the blood of Jesus cries out for mercy. And so when, when Moses said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that was not the goal. He was just trying to bring it back in the right direction. It's the prelude to redemption. It's the prelude to mercy. Genesis 4.24, Lamech says, If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech will be avenged seventy-seven. Does that sound familiar? When Peter came to Jesus and said, how many times do I have to forgive? Seven times? Jesus said, no. Seventy-seven times. Why is all this important? Well, and what does it have to do with love is forgiveness? The reason all of this is important is because the covenant that you choose for others, you also choose for yourself. The covenant that you choose for others, you also choose for yourself. So you can choose justice, what's fair and what's deserved. Or you could go with Lamech and you could choose vengeance. You cost me thousands, I'll sue you millions. That's Lamech. Anybody you know live like that today? Most of America. Or you can choose mercy. Someone strikes you on the right cheek, you turn to them the left also. What you can't do is you can't demand justice or seek revenge and expect mercy from God. So you have to make a choice. What covenant am I going to live in? And the covenant that you choose to express towards others is the covenant that you receive from God. So that's why forgiveness is pretty important. God calls us to be people who love mercy. When people forgive each other, the redemptive power of God is released. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of um, Jacob and Esau. You know, they have this huge falling out over the birthright, and and you know everything goes goes badly, and brothers are, are separated, and. And one's running from the other for years, and, and, you know, he thinks his brother wants to kill him, and probably for a time he did. And then, I think it's Genesis 33, maybe they have this time where they're reunited. And uh, when they come together, one brother is expecting the other brother to, to be vengeful and, and want to kill him. But instead, he receives him, and he embraces him. And he kisses him on the neck, and he, and he, he tells him that he loves him. And, and then the, the brother who had sinned against uh, his older brother looks into his face, and this is what he says. Looking in your face is like looking into the face of God. 
Now, Jacob says this because he knew what the face of God looked like. He had wrestled with God previously. On his way to meet his brother, he had wrestled with God. He had had this personal encounter with the Lord, and he had learned what the face of God looked like. And he looks at his brother, and he says, looking, like you, looking at you is like looking into the face of God. And the reason that he said that is because you and I are never more like Jesus than when we forgive. We're never more like him than when we forgive. When we forgive each other, when people forgive each other, the redemptive power of God is released. When we make the choice to forgive, the power of God in all of its life-bringing force is released into our community. So the question then is what would happen... What would happen in a community if a significant number of people made the decision to love mercy? What would happen in a church if a, if a significant number of people made the choice to choose mercy, to choose forgiveness? In Luke twenty three thirty four, Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them. When forgiveness is released... On behalf, of, on behalf of others, something happens in the heavens. As Jesus is hanging on the cross and, and he says those words to the Father, Father, forgive them. Colossians 2.14 says that rulers and authorities were disarmed. Rulers and authorities were disarmed because of the words of Jesus. We know that the curtain in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom, just ripped in half because Jesus spoke those words, the words of mercy, the words of forgiveness. The hand of God shattered walls in every dimension and in every direction, and life came where there had been only death. And and that is the power of forgiveness. When you and I choose forgiveness, the power of God's life is released and in the same way as when Jesus spoke those words when you choose forgiveness when I choose forgiveness in the name of Jesus walls come down and hearts are opened and life comes in places where there's only been death now of course if we choose not to forgive if we choose not to forgive then we open ourselves to the seeds of resentment and bitterness and vengeance and rage and even hatred. I've heard it said that withholding forgiveness is like drinking rat poison and hoping that it kills the rat. <laughs> it's ridiculous, but we do it. Uh, I've come to believe, really, that hearts don't open and close. They just turn. And when you choose forgiveness, your heart turns toward heaven and towards life. And when you choose to withhold forgiveness, your heart turns toward death and towards hell. So your heart's open. It's just which, which direction are you going to point it in? Forgiveness brings freedom, and unforgiveness brings bondage. And that passage in Luke 23, uh, 34, where Jesus uh, is, is hanging on the cross... Uh, His first word is very important. The first word that he says is Father. Because the key 
to forgiveness is Father. The key to forgiveness is being in relationship with the Father. This, this is the place to start. If you want to embrace forgiveness, if you want to be a lover of mercy, you know, I, I talk to married couples all the time, and, and every time a marriage, a couple comes to my office and their marriage is in trouble, it's because of selfishness. Every single time. It's because of selfishness uh, on one or both parties. Every time. And it's because they've forgotten the posture of the Father. The Father is the one who's always giving and, and always protecting and always seeking to promote life. Uh, you know the story of the prodigal? Uh, this, is, this is an interesting thing, and I, I, I didn't know this until just recently. And I, I've been in church most of my life. I, I didn't always listen, but I was there. Uh, and I've been to seminary and all that stuff. And I, and I just, just learned this recently, that um, in, in the Jewish culture of the day, uh, when Jesus told that story about the prodigal, if, a, if, a, if there was a prodigal who decided to come home, do you know how he, how he was greeted by the neighbors? This was the tradition of the day. If a prodigal went away, and, and dishonored his family and then decided to come back home, the neighbors would throw sticks and stones at him as he came back. As he made his way back towards his home, his neighbors would throw sticks and stones at him. Just, you know, basically to say to him, you know, you did a bad thing, you dishonored your family, and you should be ashamed of yourself. So think about this. This this prodigal in the story that Jesus tells is coming home. And the father sees him. And he jumps off the porch and he runs down the road. Now, I've always thought, you know, he just couldn't wait to see him. And loved him. And was glad he was coming home. And, that, and that's pretty good. But now, knowing that he was about to step into the line of fire, the sticks and stones of the neighbors, I realize the father jumped off the porch and ran down the road and grabbed his son to cover him, to protect him, to escort him in. And, and that's the way the father treats us. He covers us. He seeks to protect us. And when we learn as people, when we learn as his people in the relationships that we're in, whether it's a marriage relationship, a family relationship, a church relationship, or even just a community relationship, when we learn to cover each other rather than throwing sticks and stones at each other, we will begin to experience Life, the way God intends for us to live it. The source of forgiveness is the Father. Relationship with Him. Now, the method, of course, that the Father chose for forgiveness was a cross. And apart from the cross, uh, there is no forgiveness. Forgiveness is impossible without the cross. The old covenant is based on justice, an eye for an eye. But Jesus speaks a better word. The cross, a new covenant word, is Father, 
forgive them. God the Father wanted relationship with us so much that he was willing to let Jesus die. You know, it's interesting. Uh, We always talk about Jesus dying for us, and he did die for us. But in a sense, he also died for the Father. Because the Father wanted us back. And so Jesus died in our place so that the Father could be both just and merciful and get us back. Uh, Forgiveness is essential. Uh, It's not just a good idea. It's an absolute necessity. Why, Why do you think God forgives? Why does God forgive? He forgives because we need it. The Bible is very clear that we all need the cross, that all of us have sinned, that all of us fall short. Isaiah 64 says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. Uh, Romans 3 says that all have sinned and that no one is righteous. You know, even Bob Dylan gets that. I mean, listen to Bob Dylan's music. He, He says that there's no one righteous. If Bob Dylan gets it, we ought to get it, right? Don't you think we ought to get it? So if we know this, if we know that this is true, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that there is no one who is good, there is no one who is righteous, that Jesus is the only one who is good, why are we so shocked when people mess up? Why is it that every time somebody sins, we act like it's never happened before? Why is it that every time somebody hurts us, we act like it's the worst tragedy that's ever occurred in the history of the planet? Our response to sin really hasn't changed much since Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, when sin happened, they first were afraid. They ran and they hid in the bushes. They said, we heard you coming. So we hid. And then they felt shame. They'd never felt shame before. They felt shame. They said, we, we were naked. Well, is naked really naked if there's nothing else? If nothing else has ever existed? I mean, that's all they've ever been. So why is it all of a sudden now an issue? Sin makes things an issue that weren't an issue before. And so... They feel shame and they cover themselves. And then they, of course, move into blame. And Adam says, oh, God, you know, it's really your fault. Because you gave me that woman. And and she is the cause of this. And so actually you're the cause of this because you gave her to me. And if you had just left well enough alone, we wouldn't be in this mess. So there's fear and there's shame and there's blame. And then, of course, there's religion. Religion helps a lot, doesn't it? You know why religion, you know where we see religion in the story of Adam and Eve? If you do a a study of the Old Testament, you'll find that the fig tree is a symbol for the nation of Israel. And so uh, what God wants in a fig tree is leaves and fruit. You remember when Jesus cursed the fig tree? Does that ever puzzle you? I mean, was Jesus having a temper tantrum? I mean, was Jesus mad because he couldn't get a fig? 
Surely not. I mean, that just doesn't fit the Jesus that we know. And so it had to be something more to it. Well, the nation of Israel is symbolized by a fig tree. And when Jesus sees a tree that has leaves but no fruit, what that is, that is a symbol of something that has the appearance of life but not the reality of life. That, my friends, is religion. And so when Adam and Eve sin in the garden, you know what they do? They pick fig leaves and they cover themselves. Is there a better definition of religion than man attempting to cover his own sin? Do you know religion might make you feel better, but it won't make you clean? It's kind of like putting on a coat over a dirty shirt. That shirt's still there. <laughs> it's still there, and eventually, if it gets hot enough, you have to take the coat off. Look around a room, a warm room sometime, and just know that the people wearing coats and sweaters have on dirty shirts. It's just the truth. Do you want to be clean, or do you just want to feel better for a little while? Forgiveness is what we need. Hidden sin is not good. Sin actually gains strength by being hidden. But we like to keep it hidden. Uh, We all need the cross. Uh, God forgives because we need it. God forgives because he wants to. He chooses to. He wants to bring us into relationship with himself because relationship cannot survive without forgiveness. How how many of you are married? How many of you want to stay married? Okay. How many of you know that relationship cannot survive without forgiveness? Yeah. You got to love mercy. You either got to love mercy or marry someone who's perfect. Those are your only choices if you want to stay married. We need to be forgiven, and we need to forgive. You see, unless God forgives us, we die. As the Bible says it, the wages of sin is death. Unless God forgives us, we die. And unless we forgive each other, we get sick. Sometimes physically, always spiritually and emotionally. And so it's not just that forgiveness makes life better. Forgiveness makes life. Everything else is death. And so we have to make a choice. First, we have to make a choice to receive the forgiveness of God. And then we have to make a choice to give it. We have to receive it, and we have to give it. And so the chances are that everybody in this room has someone that they need to forgive. And most of the people in this room have someone who needs to forgive them. And I'm guessing that everyone in this room probably has something that they need, some forgiveness that they need to receive from God. Uh, Let let me give you a little clue 
about receiving forgiveness from God. Sometimes we think we have to beg and plead. Beg God for forgiveness. Does that make any sense at all? That he would die for something that you then have to beg for? He wants it. He wants to give it more than you want to receive it. So stop beating yourself up with shame. Stop talking about how unworthy you are to him and to everybody else. And just receive it. It's free. It really is free. So think about it. We're going to go into a time of, of ministry in a minute. And uh, just encourage you to you know, just ask yourself, is there someone that I need to forgive? Because I can promise you that refusing to forgive them is not hurting them. But it's killing you. Is there someone I need to forgive? Is there something, some hidden sin or some habitual sin or an attitude that, that I need God, God's forgiveness for so that I can be free from it? Is there some someone that I need to be reconciled with, someone who needs to forgive me? Okay, let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that uh, as we move forward from here and we go into a time of ministry, I just, I just pray that, that people would be sensitive to what you're saying, that they would allow you, Holy Spirit, to stir in their hearts, uh, to say what you want to say, and that they would do what you want them to do. And so, Lord, that's simply our instruction for today. Listen to you and do what you say. In Jesus' name. Amen.